Welcome to the NPO Media Podcast, featuring interviews, stories, and creative content by individuals living with mental illness. My name is Pete Schiffman, board president of the Staten Island chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Together with fellow board member and podcast co-producer Rashid Ali, we believe that showcasing creativity and resilience provides hope, reduces stigma, and lets others know that there's so much more to a person than just a diagnosis. Opinions expressed in the podcast by individuals are their own. Please be aware of possible triggers as traumatic experiences may be shared. For episode three, we feature Robert Crane, an American writer and teacher living in Norway. Robert called in via Skype to discuss his experiences, his struggles and strategies, and share insights about how he is making the best of his recovery from mental illness. Hello, my name is Robert Crane. I'm an American. Currently, I'm living in Oslo, Norway, and I've been living here for 15 years. Right now, it's November 21st, and the sun went down at 3.30 today, so... It's the season of taking vitamin D tablets and sitting in front of the artificial light in the morning. I've been here for 15 years. I'm American, like I said. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I met a Norwegian woman when I was 29. We were traveling in South America, and she enticed me to come over here, and it's paid off. I've got two children, two daughters. They are 12 and 9, and I'm a writer. I have one novel out. It's called Boone. I wrote that. It took me four years. And it came out last winter. Uh, I've been writing for 25, 30 years almost. And right now I'm working on a play. I've written three plays this year. And this play I've currently written, the goal is to sell it and to produce it. But that's the other part of writing. It's not the creative part, but the business part. So we'll see what happens with that. But I'm confident. I'm also a teacher. I've taught English at many companies in Oslo. That's been business English. It's a great job. Now I'm teaching creative writing at the Fountain House in Oslo, which I'm a member of. The original Fountain House is in New York. You, you may know that. It's a place for people with mental illness to come and become a part of society in a way again. If you've fallen out or have struggled, it's a chance to maybe get back to work. People there can help you with that. For me, it's very social to share your struggles, your ups and downs with other people in the same situation. I found that very, very helpful. So I've been a member there for five years, and I've been teaching creative writing to other members of the house since this January. That's been extremely rewarding to see people and what they can produce and the creativity that comes out of them. So we read pieces of Norwegian novelists or novels. It sort of inspires us, kickstarts the whole thing off, and I have them write for 20 minutes during the hour and 15 minutes we spend together once a week. And then we all read our pieces, our texts, and we go around and comment. And it's very pleasant. It's very, um, I think it's therapeutic to write. Even 20 minutes I've heard can help with getting over sort of a mild depression or a, a down phase. And I find for myself that writing's been a great source of, you know, therapy and being more creative and dealing with my struggles. But not only that, it's, you know, I write when I'm stable as well. So it's, it's just a way to express yourself. And, and that's been great. So my story is that I struggle with bipolar disorder. Um, I have bipolar 1. I was diagnosed when I was 30, and that was the second year I was living in Norway. So I came over when I was 29. So I, when I got to Oslo, we planned to get married, and then we did that. And it's sort of 
I don't know, the stress or the change or, or the adversity of living in a foreign country. I don't know if I can blame that completely, but I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 30 in 2000. And it sort of explained the ups and downs of my 20s. And I was living in D.C. when in my, most of my 20s. I explained sort of the, the nights spent um, bicycling around the city, uh, couldn't sleep getting in touch with some kind of spirits out there and you know you call it mania and and then of course maybe there were three or four episodes in my 20s and i would have the crushing lows after one or two months of being very uh, you know vibrating and being very manic and during those manic periods i was very creative i was um, writing poetry and going to concerts and really talkative and you know things were just really flowing and i had the juice was flowing through me but other people would notice my behavior and sort of say, you know, you seem a little off or you seem a little odd. But I just kind of shook it off. I just didn't have any knowledge of what was going on at that point. I didn't know much about mental illness. So I just pretty much dealt with it. And then, of course, the depression would come in after. You know, it was it was crushing. And and that would last much longer than the than the ups. So it's, you know, the self-esteem goes. Teaching was hard. Having to get up in front of people. So I had three or four of those, and then I came, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 30. And so, like I said, it kind of explained all of those ups and downs. So the diagnosis came, and in a way, it was a relief. It was a relief, but also I figured that it's going to be a lifelong thing. That's what I was thinking. But it seemed like in my 20s that the ups were better. There wasn't much in the way of nasty ending to the mania in terms of um, really jagged thinking and psychosis. That seemed to get worse and so in my 30s and early 40s, when I got sick, the mania seemed to last for shorter periods of time and then went into sort of dark, very dark places. So I've been hospitalized three times in Norway and I've gotten extremely good care here. You know, I don't know if it's age or the, the way the illness is progressing, but it is something that I have to take seriously because this winter was pretty tough and I did have a hospital stay and... It doesn't define me, the, the bipolar, but it's, it's not like you're running around spending money and having fun and riding around in cars and like people think it's just all, you know, great sex and, and, you know, experimenting with this and that. Well, for me, there is a downside, there is a dark side, and it's important for me to prevent that from happening. And it's, it's a hard thing because when you're ill, you don't really have much insight because when you're up, you think, well, I'm just feeling good. I'm just going to roll with it. I'm going to dance and you know talk to everybody and i'm going to write poetry at four in the you know all through the night and maybe drink too much you just kind of go we and then the problem is the depression comes and then you feel like you can't do anything so that's the nature of the illness i've been through depressions that i, I wouldn't wish on anyone so the the prevention is one thing i'm trying to deal with and i'm actually in a course right now in norway at my uh, local clinic for people with bipolar, half group therapy and it's half sort of, you know, being educated. And for me, the best part is hearing people's stories and seeing what's worked for them, what's happened to them, and also trying to prevent the huge ups and downs for me. And so I think I have a, it's a kind of loud thinking, which, you know, because I'm a creative person, I write and, you know, so I'm creative, but I think when things accelerate, I make up stories in my fiction. And then, you know, when I get quite manic, the stories become larger than life. And so it's hard to sift through what's actually real. And, you know, what's just my faulty perception.
and I think the trick is now when I'm stable, which is, and I have been for a while, is to figure out how to calm those thoughts down so that my feelings don't get, you know, out of control or to, um, to overwrought. A couple things I think are really healthy. I, I have a f- really good friends here. A lot of them I met through the Fountain House. I have a lot of writer friends. I do a dance course now and exercise is really important for me. I just started up again in August. I've been on lithium since February this year and I I had tried it when I was 30 and I just had upset stomach. So and this time I did have that too, but it's I've sort of worked through it now, so I think it's getting better. So I stuck with it. And I think, you know, the combination of that, good therapy, I have a great therapist. He's young, but really smart, really patient, um, remembers everything I say. So the lithium and the therapy, it seems to be working. So when I start to feel really good, I get a little worried because that's, that's kind of a sign or not feeling good, but feeling excited, which is different from feeling calm. I start to get a little more curious, a little more outgoing, because I am actually a shy person, even though I've been a teacher for so long. I'm actually overcompensating for that when I, when I teach. So you might, you might think, okay, so I'm hyper, or I'm talking a lot, and I might start calling family. And by the way, Peter is running this podcast as my cousin. That's a little disclaimer. Um, but he's more like, a, more like that solid older brother. So... Maybe I'd call Peter here at two in the morning in my time and, you know, he'll say, what, what are you doing up? Because, you know, or, or my sister or parents or anybody in, in the States or even here, they'll be, they'll be a little bit concerned about me, judging from all the, from the patterns and from, from being so up before. So that's one of the signs. And there's a little bit of recklessness. I have a self-destructive streak when I'm sick because... I don't know if it's the bipolar or if there's an impatience. There's like you want so much. I mean, I don't know if that's human or it's part of the illness, but in the manic phases, it kind of kicks in. And so something like going out, leaving my house at 10 or 11 at night and going into the city to bars and drinking too much. And that's a sign. And, and racing speech for me is, is something that is another sign. And also like maybe jagged thoughts or two thoughts competing against each other. And then that accelerates when it's gone too far. And at that point, it's, for me, it's just a question of getting some medication. And that's Suprexo or some kind of mood stabilizer. So hopefully I can prevent this from happening again. Because the problem is, once that month or two of mania has run its course, there usually comes that really hard period of depression. There, it's my brain is my brain, and I'm thinking my thoughts, and my thoughts are my own, and but they're all colored like they're running through a black window. I have low self-esteem, and you know nothing is right, and nothing works, and so the the idea is not to go up, and then I don't go down. I mean that's the that's the idea, you know. Even though I'm also a fairly social person, a bad sign for me is spending too much time alone in my house, canceling appointments. And that, that's in both phases, depression and mania, because mania, I can think, well, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to go to the dance course anymore because I'm better than everyone. I'm, cause I'm, I'm the king when I'm high up. So I'll just quit. And that's, that's not good. And then, and then depression, it's the question of, I quit because I can't get out. 
it's the same result with a different reason. And then depression, I think what I tried to do this summer when I was going down a bit into the cellar was just to, even it's just like, oh, I can't, I can't go out and meet my friend. I can't, I can't do this work. I can't write. It's just to force myself to get to the fountain house or to meet one of my friends for coffee. Even if I feel I really, this is true. I feel like I have nothing to offer as a human being. Like it's just a feeling of like complete and utter nothingness. You know, I'm not always good at this. Sometimes I'll cancel and just spend time in my apartment and watch Netflix or read or not even that. Just, you know, I think everybody has a piece of strength inside them that, that gets them through these things. Because otherwise, I, I mean, I'm lucky to be here. I really am. And I think just forcing myself, I mean, it might take a friend or a family member to push me a little and say, like, why don't you do this? And my first reaction is, I don't want to take advice from anyone. I can figure it out myself. But then I just lay in bed. So the refreshing thing is when I actually get out to meet a good friend, because I have, I've developed friendships and I have a little more patience, which has been a problem for me too, I can just tell the friend that, you know, I feel like shit. I'm probably not going to say anything that has any kind of anything near smart. That's refreshing because he'll probably say, well, I don't care or it doesn't matter. That's what friends are for. So, yeah, I mean, there, you know, the stigma is really hard because we've come a long way. I mean, my mother, I, this is genetic, and my mother has had, I don't know if she's diagnosed, but there is mental illness in the family. I think reaching out is really good, but sometimes my pride gets in the way and my shame gets in the way and it stops me. But, you know, I think, I think in terms of family, since most of them accept you for who you are, they'll try to understand more about the illness. And, you know, I'm lucky to have Peter because he does understand because he's in the field of helping people with, with mental illness. But, you know, it's been a process because it's taken me a long time to understand the, the illness. And as soon as you think you have the answer or you think you have the reason or the cause, it just slips away. So, and then you, you sort of repeat, you know, you repeat. I, I don't know much about NAMI, but I'm sure it's, it's probably a lot like the Fountain House in that, you know, the Fountain House brings family members. And unfortunately, my family is in the United States, but I have two daughters and they're, they're, <laughs> I have them every other week and they're, they're affected by my moods, of course, like any father and, and their children. But I bring them to the Fountain House and, I try to speak to them in a way that's, they're 12 and 9, I try to speak to them in a way that's constructive and positive and not at all scary. My youngest daughter used to say, like, when I was down, she would say, are you tired in your head? So that was her code word for depression. When I was hyper or manic, she would say, uh, you're hyper now. But they've actually, both of them have been to talk to professionals here in Oslo, which is a great thing that they, they can do for people. And my oldest daughter, when I was hospitalized this year, was very, she was very upset and concerned, of course, and she was angry. She was, she was dealing with all these conflicting feelings and she, she was mad at me. She, or, you know, she was expressing anger because she, I missed her birthday and I was in the hospital and she said, are you going to keep going in and out of the hospital? And, and I just let her vent. And, and I think that's what, I can't educate all my family members on this, but through the years, the mutual understanding kind of grows. 
because if you stick with people, and that's the key for me, because there's a, a number of people I can rely on. It's hard for me to push people to, to learn more about it, but there are there are outlets. There is NAMI and there is Fountain House. And, and so once you sort of make the step to get into a kind of, you know, it's not it's not a hospital. The Fountain House is, you know, working people and people trying to figure out their lives and in a constructive way. And those kind of places, I think, if my family was here, I would direct them there and I would they would come with me. But I think it's just important to have dialogue to be as understanding with yourself and with the people around you. Hey, this is Ricardo Nunez. You're listening to the MPO Media Podcast. Oh, I'd like to ask you guys to please subscribe and to please join us next time.